Hello everyone and welcome to episode 13 for 2019 of Refs Roundup. It's great to be back in the studio to chat about the weekend's games and what's been happening in the world of refereeing. And a very lovely welcome, as always, to my favourite NRL referee and my favourite husband, Gavin Badger. Hey Case, how's things going this week? I'm... um Pretty refreshed after spending the weekend up in tropical Townsville, so um, <laughs> I know you were over the ditch in a little bit cooler climate than, than I was, but um, yeah, my weekend was pretty good. Yeah, I was quite quite jealous while I was on the field there at um, Mount Smart Stadium. There was blowing a gale. We um, struggled to, to hear each other during the game, and there were multiple times where the wind was literally knocking you off your feet. If, if there was a break in play and you were standing still, and a big gust of wind would come, you'd actually step one or two steps t- to the side, so... Yeah, it wasn't quite as nice as where you were. Yeah, it looked a little cold while I was sitting in my sunbed drinking a pina oh, yeah, colada you, watching you your can, game. Actually, I wasn't doing that now. because I was refereeing the same night. <laughs> so <laughs> pina colada is probably not so good. Um, so tell us a bit about your game on the weekend. Yeah, Cowboys, so, and, uh, Cowboys and Manly, so pretty tight one, 22-20, Manly got up. Yeah, and something that I haven't sort of experienced on a, on a rugby league field before is where a team were playing short for 15 minutes of the game because they'd run out of, of interchange and run out of injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, NRL, I've, I've never experienced that. We've had it for, you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds while they fix up the player and put him back on, but we had, you know, the, the Cowboys sort of defending or chasing, you know, two points with 15 minutes to go with only 12 players, so to... To stick with it and, you know, at stages almost get the victory, it, it was a, quite a remarkable effort. And it's it's a weird one in that because we have, you know, penalties for shot clocks and stuff in, in the NRL. And, you know, when we're packing a scrum and they've only got, you know, 12 players and on field, we didn't know this at, 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 at that stage. So here I am yelling at the Cowboys to pack a lock in and, you know, then, I, you know, luckily we had the matchday coaching Shane Hayne who come in and said, mate, they've only got 12, they don't need a lock. Then when I said it to the Cowboys, but they didn't even know. Yeah. A lot of the Cowboys did, didn't know that they were playing one Ma- short. Imagine so. how horrendous that would have been had we blown a penalty for the scrum clock going off because we're telling them to get a lock in and they only had 12 players on the field so they didn't have to have a lock. But there was no way we would have... No, it's just, we spoke. We've spoken in other weeks about sometimes the game tosses up weird and wonderful things that you've never had to deal with before. Um, this is a good example of of that. Yeah, and it just goes to show that some something that could look so basic from outside. So, like you say, if we were standing there and blow that penalty, and then you know people have realised that they've only got twelve. I'm sure, and I haven't watched the game back with commentators on it but I'm sure the commentators would have known because yeah. you know they've got people on the sidelines and stuff like that yeah so. So, that, so on TV people are watching the game knowing for the last five minutes they've been down to 12 people w- and w- then you look like an idiot blowing a penalty well I'd look incompetent yeah you know where really I had no idea yeah and so um yeah it was it was it was different and there's a bit of credit there goes to, to Shane Hayne the match day coach for jumping on that pretty quickly and and realizing that and saved us from from looking stupid so that's where teamwork sort of comes into it and actually teamwork makes a dream work <laughs> actually brings up a um pretty interesting uh, ruling within the law book of minimum number of players. Yeah. Something a lot of people don't know is that according to the law book, um, the minimum number of players in a rugby league game is nine. So if you had um, send-offs and injuries and a team got down to eight, technically to that law book, and, and it happens in, in park football, yep, game game stops and, and it's a forfeit. Uh, but that doesn't include players in the symbion. So say a team yes. got down to nine on the on the field, and you simbin a player, they're what we call um, temporarily Temporary. suspended. So that player is actually still active in that game, um, and then they can come come back on the field. Trivia question: When was the last f- first grade competition match to be forfeited? 
Do you have the answer to that, or are you trying um, to ask I me? Think, yeah, well, I was asking you, but I, I think it was a grand final, actually. I think it was uh, when uh, it might have been Balmain and South, and they were playing a grand final as a curtain raiser to a rugby union game or something, and the teams decided they weren't going to turn up because they thought that that wasn't you know, befitting of their grand final, and one team turned up without telling the other team and claimed victory. <laughs> I, I, may be, wow. I may not be 100% factually correct on that, but... Um, like most I'm, things you say? Yeah, uh, you know, 78% of the time I'm right. Um, but... <laughs> Yeah, I think it's somewhere around there without doing my research. Uh, so yeah, with all those injuries, as um, we've sort of been saying all year, it's been the it's been the season for injuries, unfortunately, and um, that game really highlighted it. We've we've had and we've spoken about it many times, and, and in the office, you know, training yesterday, we were talking about. I can't remember a season where we've had, firstly, so many injuries and then so many big-name players mm. injured. You see that impact into um, origin selections and stuff as well. And um, even our game on the weekend, so I'd, I was on the line for Warriors and Melbourne and uh, Brodie Croft was in at halfback and you know, he, so he got the opportun- an opportunity there and then you know, was out injured as well. Um, yeah. I think he went off with a HIA. What it does show to me is... You know, and I've never, ever doubted it, but how tough our rugby league players are. You look at, you know, and we didn't know this last week when we were talking in our podcast, but Adam Reynolds plays, you know, 73 minutes of a game with a broken back. Mm. Insane. <laughs> like, that, that's insane. And yeah. it's not like Adam Reynolds is the biggest bloke in the world either, but he's obviously got a massive ticker. Yeah. But, you know, we look at a couple of weeks ago where James Graham wanted to continue playing with a broken leg. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you just, you know, we, the stories of John Sattler playing with a broken jaw was folklore, you know, yeah. and that was the, the, the toughest of the tough. Yeah. But it seems to be happening, that's taken nothing away from from John Sattler playing with yeah. a broken jaw because I wouldn't play with the scraps. You know, yeah. I wouldn't be able to get back in there. But, you know, we just see this happening on a regular basis. It just says to me, firstly, the conditioning and, and the mental toughness of the players and also just the physical toughness of, of anybody who runs out in that NRL field. Yeah, yeah. Um, so not quite as, t- as tough as players, but uh, I guess uh, for the referees, our highlights for us physically is our GPS data. Oh, I not, not my highlight. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, last week we we didn't have the data back in time so we'll just give a quick wrap to the guys who um, got our awards last week in round 12 so our marathon runner was Benny Cummins um, 11.2 kilometres as the head ref in Panthers Manly so um, continued to Benny continues oh. to rack up the kilometres as a, as a head ref old boy better slow down he hasn't got many kilometres left in him he's <laughs> using them all up um, our urgency award goes to Hendo um, to Phil Henderson he was the in, in the touch judge role in the Panthers and Manly game um, hit the high Axel D cells 86 times so we've seen that quite regularly now go to touch judges that, that award um, and our gazelle last week was John Stone um, who hit 7.9 metres a second as the assist referee in the Titans and Cowboys game and around 28 k's yeah so I think from from memory uh, I'm pretty sure Stoney is the first person in our squad who has now won all three of the awards which shows the versatility in in John um, to be able to not only run long distances but to also have high top end speed and to be able to physically move off the mark and change direction quite quickly um, so it is quite unique yeah, but it is something going forward in in refereeing ranks. It's something that you've got to you've got to have all those attributes to to be successful at the elite level, mm. because the game is so fast and so demanding, and you know expects so much from your body that if you can't sort of you know create those sort of times, distances, and and and, and accelerations, you, you're really going to find yourself in in some poor positions. Yeah, um, round thirteen this week. So our marathon runner again, a regular name with this one is uh, Ziggy. He hit. 11.76 kilometres as the assist referee in the Panthers and Roosters game. 
with his 1.4 kilometre warm up <laughs> that, he lo- <laughs> that he loves to do is always a good joke amongst the amongst the squad. Um, our urgency award this week went to Chris Sutton, um, 88 times as the head ref in the Broncos and Titans game. So again, Chris um, is known. Um, quite well amongst the squad as being one of the quicker guys getting in and out of the pocket, as we say, in those oh, sorts you, of movements. Yeah, if you want to see someone do that role really well yeah. you know, and, and, and his movement patterns, it's yeah, but, he's probably But the what's one to look impressive at. there with this one is that he actually hit that mark as the head ref, which is it's quite unique. If we actually go back through the data, our urgency award rarely goes to a head ref. Um, it's generally an assist ref or a pocket just a oh, or, or a touch judge. Sorry. Just a different movement. Yeah, just because of that different movement pattern. So it's quite impressive from from Chris there. And our gazelle this week, um, double double award for him is uh, Ziggy. He hit eight metres per second, which is uh, just under 29 kilometres an hour as the touch judge in the Souths and Newcastle game. Yeah. We- uh, Z- Z- uh, it doesn't surprise me that Ziggy wins these awards and we've spoken about before his top end speed is quite quick it just takes him a while to get, get there and it takes him a while to slow down so I've got no doubt that over the you know the rest of the season Ziggy will sort of achieve those awards again because he has got a really quick top end speed Alright and we spoke last week as well about um, Origin games and how they may or may not differ from regular NRL games so we thought it might be interesting to have a little look at the four officials from last week and um, the data that they're um, GPS units clocked up. Um, I think the most impressive one was um, the max speeds. So three... It, impressive for three of the guys. Oh. <laughs> well, you, you may have this shot later, but <laughs> we, we spoke just before about um, how the different roles demand different physical um, attributes from, from each official. And the touch judges um, both hit nearly 31 kilometres well, one hit 31, over 31 kilometres, Nick Beeshaw. So he ran the fastest in that game, 31.68 kilometres an hour, which is really impressive. Um, so him and, and Chris Butler on the other line, um, both around that figure. Um, Bucky will be a little bit dirty that Beesh beat him, though, because he, he, sure. he, he thinks he's the fastest in the squad, Bucky, <laughs> and, he'll, and he'll continue to tell you that, but um, I have my doubts. So I'm pretty sure that was with that long Josh Adakar break. Yeah. Um, and as we have spoken about before, when you touch judging and you have that straight line to run – you have more of an ability to clock up those speeds. You're not stopping, um, looking for defenders coming across. So as the referees, you've got to stop, let a defender go. You might have to um, zig and zag and change direction, whereas the touch judges have an opportunity to to really clock up those speeds, um, which is quite important because a small foot on the touch line, throwing the ball back in, so that one of Josh's, um, you know, the ball's passed back in and you've got to judge on forward pass, backwards pass, touch from a defender, foot that's, out. That's a big thing. You spoke about the referee has to pull up maybe because he's got defenders coming across and stuff like that. So it's imperative that the touch judges you know, really get on their bikes and get in line because they are going to be the, the guys in best position to judge those passes. That's why you'll see some of these guys get some pretty high top-end speeds. Although I'd like to see Josh's um, stats on his his speed. I'm sure he's you know, five or six kilometres faster than these. Oh, easily. So what did he hit the other week? 38, 38 or something. Point, almost so 39. In, so he was, on our, he was in our game, so New, uh, the Warriors and Melbourne last week. And like I said, with that wind, we were all saying would like to see his GPS data if there was ever he, he didn't have a clear break in that game but um, to see if he would have cracked 40k's wind, wind assisted wind assisted yeah yeah, yeah. Um, both touched so without the warm up included both touch judges went about uh, just under 8 kilometers um, in that game and both referees went uh, about 9 and a half k's so again without without the warm up 
distance included in that. But the other stat that we have from it is what we call the game intensity. So from our chat um, with Maddie Jeffries, um, our listeners would have listened to that with our head um, strength and conditioning coach. Um, he spoke about in game intensity and how many metres per minute um, the officials ran during the game. So where we look at the imp- a really impressive one out of this is when we look at Jerry Sutton's um, GPS data from Origin. So Badge had a little stab at the start saying that three of the four officials hit some really high speeds. Um, so Ash was at... Jer- I'm sure Jerry's not overly concerned that he's not the fastest bloke in the sport. <laughs> well... I hope not anyway. Well, something that was impressive, like I'm saying, leading into is that, yeah, the other boys hit 30 and 31 kilometres. Um, Jerry's was, was below that, but Jerry's game How intensity... How far below that? That doesn't matter. <laughs> Jerry's game intensity was nine, was over 90 metres per minute. So for our, for our listeners, have a think about running 90 metres every minute. For 80 minutes. For 80 minutes. And on top of that, you're talking and you're making decisions. And you're in a high-pressured environment. Well, the heart, the, your heart. You know, I, I couldn't imagine because I haven't been out there. Well, I could imagine, but I couldn't say for sure. But I'm sure the heart's beating through the chest. Yeah. So f- physically, um, such a demanding game, and it, again, just in a different role as a head ref, your your demand, your body demands different things from you, and that's um, quite impressive. And we're lucky enough today to have Jerry uh, join us here for for an interview. So, hello, Jerry. Hey, Case. Hey, Badge. Hey, mate. Um, I hope I hope uh, Badge didn't upset you too much, mate. Saying that you weren't you weren't quick, but I was trying to give you a wrap because it, it is. No, imp- I appreciate that. <laughs> oh, I'm under no illusions. Uh, <laughs> bring different attributes to a team, but speed certainly isn't one yeah. that I, I bring to the table. I knew you wouldn't be too upset over it, mate. <laughs> especially when you've got those intensities in your game, where you know one of your biggest you know strengths is your ability to, to repeat on repeat so and that's a big part of what we do being able to you know sprint for 20 meters and then be able to back that up really quick in quick succession so how jerry how would you describe that i guess that game intensity so when we look at a stat like that that says that you ran um over 90 meters per minute for 80 minutes in that origin environment um how would you describe that game intensity how does it how does it feel and how do you cope with it yeah, I suppose the, the difference between Origin and, and NRL is that it generally in an NRL game, you may have a really intense period, uh, either at the start of the game or it jumps up somewhere towards the back end with the game on the line and, um, and it hits a really cracking pace. Um, but there's often a lull too, or the, or the game settles into a bit of a rhythm um, and you know you get errors or the ball kicked in the touch or that sort of thing, there's chances to regroup. Uh, in, in origin, the intensity never tends to drop. You don't get that lull. And if anything, actually, when the when the bench players come on, the pace actually increases again because they're looking to force the tempo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I suppose probably that like that first 11 minutes of the game last week, the ball was just in play. It was just continuous. So, yeah. you know, you've got 34 of the best players in the world in in any rugby code, um, and their ability to to play with control, uh, to not make errors, and then to you know re- return the kick and just hit their strides straight away, it's it's just jumps up um, those couple of levels from what you you get even in a high quality NRL game week to week. Um, so you you don't get that real chance to sort of decompress or re- reset yourself. Um, from the moment you kick off, it's it's on, and the the chances to really draw breath are much fewer. 
Yeah, few and far between. As we're watching it at home, Badge and I made mention of that to each other around that you know, 10, 12 minute mark that I think there'd been one 20 metre restart and apart from that, and, and you know, they ran it back relatively quickly so it's not like it was, it was slowed down. Um, apart from that, yeah, there wasn't a break. We hadn't had stoppages for penalties, for kick into touch, for knock-ons, anything like that. So, and, and if we're going to be totally honest, we're, we're more concerned about Paul Kleine running around the back there. It looked like he was he was battling a little bit by that you know, tenth, eleventh minute mark, which is rightfully so. It was it was pretty hectic. Um, yeah. So I suppose that the challenge is just is a little different, like um, in terms of not getting that chance to reset. But in actual fact, um, the, the sort of the truth of it is that in a lot of ways it, it it's sort of easier to referee because you know as an official you really want the game to find a rhythm and, and to feel like you're in a flow. Um, and with those quality of players in that environment, it tends to happen that much quicker. So the challenge is different. The impact of decisions is really great, mm. um, and, and things are happening quicker. But gee, it can be a lot of fun, and, and in yeah. some ways, um, it, it feels easier because the ball is is hitting their hands clean. The passes yeah. are good. So, so there's, there's less there's decisions. Less, yeah, there's yeah. of those little ones, mate. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does. Do, does it feel like the game, I don't mean from a speed point of view, but does it f- feel like the game goes quicker because you haven't had those breaks so, you, you know, you haven't had a quick glance up at the clock or you, you don't know how long you've been going for? Can it feel like that time goes quicker or is it, geez, this is physically tough and some and it can feel longer? Um, certainly that, that opening quarter of the game went really quick yeah. uh, because there was no no chance to look at a clock or know where you were and you're just sort of you're going from um, from one play ball to another and the ball's staying in play so so that that went really quick um, the second half probably didn't feel quite as quite as quick um, yeah uh, so I, I'm not sure how to give you a, yeah. a definitive answer <laughs> but I guess when the, when the ball's in play um, yeah you're just sort of rolling through it and, and that time can elapse pretty quickly yeah um State of Origin is, you know, the showpiece of, of rugby league, of especially within, um, you know, the, the Australian competition. Uh, what's your earliest memory of State of Origin? Um, it'd probably be watching those dominant Queensland teams of like the the eighties. Um, I distinctly remember sitting up on a Wednesday night and watching Wally Lewis sort of fend away Gary Jack three or four times as he kind of surged to the try line at the SFS. Um, <laughs> That, that's probably an enduring memory, and um, yeah, it was just how you you went to school the morning of an Origin game, really excited, and it was what everyone was talking about in the playground, and uh, kids getting chalk and scrawling the names of their favourite players across the back of their school shirt to play footy <laughs> at lunchtime, and, um, and then you know the dissection the next morning when you hit the schoolyard. Um, yeah, I just it was. They were the highlights of the year, I think. It was like Christmas coming three times. Um, <laughs> Origin night, staying up past 8 o'clock and, um, and watching some of, those, some of those legends of the game uh, run around. Um, yeah, so I was, I was definitely hooked on, on the whole Origin phenomenon like everyone else, I think, in rugby league. Yeah, so you're fortunate enough like, to have refereed quite a few now. Um, sort of the differences between your first Origin appointment and that you know, that week sort of when you get that first opportunity compared to, you know, now the expectation on you as, you know, the number one referee in the game for, for quite, quite a time is to go out and then perform 
you know, after having done it a few times, so do you, does it feel any different or is, is it, you know, that appointment still feel the same and you still get the same buzz as you did the first one yeah, you got? I guess it's almost like two questions. Like, yeah. So I guess what's the feeling of the appointment like um, receiving the news that you're going to referee it compared to the first time you did it? And also, yeah, yeah like Badge said, well, yeah, is because, there any extra pressure? Because the first time to me, you know, it would be, it, it's enormous you know what I mean? and then after you've done a few there's almost almost like an expectation that you get it again mm. you know they say so is it a relief is it joy is it you know that, that there's plenty of factors that go around it yeah yeah it's probably it's probably fluctuated a bit days through through my time being fortunate enough to refer it definitely the first one as a sense of elation um absolute euphoria when you you first um get appointed to an origin game and just, you know, wanting to do cartwheels around the lounge. <laughs> and then that, that quickly shifts to, um, am I, have I got what it takes yeah. to handle this arena? Because so much is made of it. There's so much hype around it. Everyone says how it's on a different level to NRL. So you then have to wrestle with that little bit of um, doubt of, am I going to be up to this? Um, and, and then, the, yeah, the first one was, a, you know, was fortunately was a, was a great experience. Um, and then you're right, it, it does sort of change because um, you start to carry that expectation of, I, I want to be there again, um, and family members or friends sort of expect you mm-hmm. to be in the frame for it. Um, and probably um, after after 2014, 2015, um, I found that quite a burden, um, and it, it took quite a bit out of me because you you sort of feel like you're really locked in trying to hold this position to stay in the frame to mm. to get a running origin and then getting yourself up to the actual contest and doing that across a series and and I'm, I in reflection I don't think I handled that all that well that that pressure of expectation the pressure that others have on you and, and that you have yourself mm. um, I'd like to think now that I've kind of moved past that I, I heard um, a quote attributed to um, Pep Guardiola, the coach of Manchester City, um, talking to his team, and, and he said pressure is a privilege. Um, if there's pressure on you, it means that people actually expect you to do well. Mm. They believe that you have the capability to perform and that you feel that within yourself. Um, and really, as an, an athlete, an official, or anything in elite sport, you want to be in that position. It, it's actually pressure is reserved for for a special few people who know that they've got the capacity to, to perform at a, at a high level. So I think you've got to embrace it. Um, and rather than thinking that, okay, I'm trying to hold a position to get to an origin game, no one in, in elite sports, certainly not in um, rugby league refereeing, holds a, has a mortgage on, on anything. You've got to be very fortunate. Things have got to fall your way. You've got to do everything right to put yourself in a position to maybe be there. So I celebrate each one that I'm lucky enough to get now uh, much more than I did after that initial series um, and really appreciate it for the achievement that it is standing on its own. Um, And then know that I've been there before. I know what it takes. It's about the process and the trust I have in the team. Go out and just throw your absolute everything into it and um and chances are you'll get the outcome you want um but yeah nothing's guaranteed and that doesn't mean you're there for the next one or the one after that um i like it's a really good answer jerry that's always you're always very very articulate but um i liked 
what you said about the the pre- pressure it's it's privileged to to have that pressure and the fact that you've also said that you're now able to cope with that better um which means that you're going to enjoy those appointments as well because there's no point doing what we're doing if you're not if you're not going to enjoy it well yeah you don't want the biggest you know some of the biggest appointments that the game has to offer become almost a burden you want them to be celebrated and be the highlights yeah absolutely but i think it happens to us as officials at all levels like even when you're when you're starting out it's just it's human nature to kind of look at what the other person's doing and think right i'm in front of them or they're one ahead of me and and, um and then you know I, i look at like i'm sure the roosters didn't start this season thinking we're 2019 premiers and and we're trying to hang on to the trophy they start on zero points with everyone else and it's about what they do from there whether they they get to another title but if if you're starting with the mindset that i'm up here and i'm trying to hang on trying not to lose something is very different mentality to trying to win it yeah um but it's it's easy to slip into um, particularly in our um, sort of chosen profession where you're, it's all geared a lot of the time towards rank and who's one and who's two yeah. and where you are in the pecking order. Yeah. We do get caught um, up on that stuff, don't we? Like, yeah, well, well we it. do. And, and the reality is, you know, um, we don't have a competition table week to week. You don't always know where you sit, but what you do know is what you have coming up that weekend and what you can do in your preparation for it and, Things you just throw yourself into that, and then that other stuff happens. It, it sounds simple, but it's a it's a real discipline, I think, to try and get yourself into that headspace. So, so you sort of just touched on on preparation and being prepared to to go out there and do your job on the weekend. Does your prep change going into an Orange game compared to what it would be going into an NRL game? I know the game day is different, you know, on a Wednesday night, so that throws prep out of whack a touch, but. What you do week to week, which has gotten you that performance, does, do you continue that on? Or because it's a bigger occasion, do you do anything different around around the way you pre- prepare for that game? Uh, that's pretty similar, Bags, in terms of um, the, the technical stuff and certainly training-wise. Um, because, you know, refereeing with Kleine, he tends to be a guy that I don't run with a lot um, during the regular season prior to that to Origin last week. So it's it's a matter of making sure that we tick off between each other, um, you know, what we're going to do in different scenarios in terms of what, how I'll communicate where I'm going to, if I'm going to the ruck or when I'm going to run across to the 10. And so that mechanics sort of thing. Um, and then we're really fortunate that since 2014, the, the NRL with officials going into an origin um, almost have like a bit of a mini camp. Um, so we, we trained together on the weekend prior we we now travel up to whatever the wherever the venue is at least the day before. Um, we spend that time together, sort of coming together as a team. Um, and and there's a lot of those uh, distractions or things, spenders that can get thrown in the works week to week. Preparing for an NRL game are sort of removed. Um, so it's a really nice build up. Um, we have a dinner together the night before the game bit of a, a walk and a kick around and a laugh together the next, the next day and I just think it helps to be together going into a big game like that because um, you know we are human doesn't matter how many times you've been there before at some point you might feel a bit a bit nervous or a bit anxious about something or but just being together um, means that the team dynamic 
uh, is really enhanced. And if someone is sort of feeling a little bit, you, you tend to draw confidence off your mate who's going into the same cauldron as you are. Um, and I feel like we go in there as a, as a really good unit. Um, so in, in a lot of ways, the preparation becomes easier for us, I think, going into those big games because of what the NRL's put in place around their officiating teams. Yeah, we, we spoke about that two weeks ago with Matty Jeffries around, you know, from a uh, high-performance perspective of putting you guys into a camp and being able to have that control for those couple of days to get you prepared for that. We also spoke about for the rest of the squad, when we're outside looking in, we want to be part of that. So it also builds it up that, you know, or you don't really need to build Origin up, but for us as an officials group, it sort of, you want to be part of that group, you want to be training with those guys for that week. So it's sort of a twofold thing having those mini camps which is a great initiative that was started a couple of years back um jerry just out of that game on the uh uh, last week on wednesday night are you able to identify um i guess which moment from the time that you you get to the game you got to the ground to the time that you left what was the most enjoyable moment um oh gee it's hard to it's hard to separate case because it um the, the whole whole experience is is really special. Um, I, I do I love that build up pre game where you're warming up um, at the back of the dressing rooms and you can hear the pre game build up and the fireworks and things. Um, and then <laughs> running onto the ground with the fireworks going at either end of Suncorp and um, obviously the Queensland team comes out second, so you're running out on the back of that so that the crowd goes right up. Um, that's that's really special to, to then have those moments to be able to look around and and really take in the the scene. Uh, the game itself was great, but pr- probably the best thing is walking off the field and being able to look teammates in the eye and be confident that we executed what we said we were going to do and um, and have that moment of sort of satisfaction I suppose and be able to reflect together we, we just shared um, in something really significant that a lot of people don't get to experience and and hopefully made a real contribution to the to the spectacle that's that's probably the most fulfilling thing um, yeah. is that those couple of moments post game together yeah. Yeah, so I guess it is, it is a tricky question because you've got that yeah that excitement like you spoke about the build up and stuff, but then that moment of yeah satisfaction and fulfilment at the end, knowing that you, you know, the four of you had done a, a good job. And it, but I guess it's very different to to players where um, you know we had one team win, one team lose, but then they've also got to um, look forward to the rest of the the series as well to try and win the series. Whereas for referees, you, you know, you know, you're going back into NRL games and, um, you know, you just got to put your best foot forward and perform for the next couple of weeks and try and be there again. It's not really a, a, a win loss scenario. So the dynamic is quite different. Yeah. Yeah. And who knows what sort of happens down the track, but, but we spoke the next morning together as a group about, um, you know, they always talk about what makes an origin player is the ability to go back and and back up for their club, yeah. um, and you know that after being on such a such a high in such a um, a big environment, that going back to your, to your next game, it's really important that you reproduce that energy and that standard of professionalism, um, which is which is so easy to get yourself up for mm. um, on last Wednesday. Yeah. Um, but but that's the challenge is. 
as an official is to is to go again and, and can you reproduce it? And we just spoke about the importance of, of doing that what for ourselves personally, but also for the for the other officiating teams that we're going back back into that we, we owe that to them as well, yeah. not to go back and be be down in any way. Yeah. Well, um, none of us have any doubt that you that you're professional enough to, to come back into the NRL um, and and perform at the at the highest level. So, um, just wanted to really thank you, Jerry, for for joining us today and having a chat. Um, we know it's your it's your day off, and um, you know you've got your uh, young Charlotte there with you. Uh, we thought quiet. We, we haven't heard from her. We thought we thought yeah. about ditching you and interviewing her instead. Yeah, it would probably be more colourful. <laughs> better, better content. All right, thanks again, Jerry. We'll catch you right. out at training tomorrow. See you, mate. Right. Thanks, See you, mate. Bye. Bye. Yeah, that's some pretty insightful stuff from Jerry there, and a lot of a lot of stuff that the people that aren't involved wouldn't know. You know, the ins and outs and, and the, the inner workings of of how an NRL referee prepares for. You know what is probably you know I know the grand finals the showcase of showcase of our game but it is the, the most scrutinised position in in our squad so mm. to be able to get that interaction and, and hear from Jerry himself it's um, something that we're pretty privileged to yeah. have. Yeah, it's just quite interesting just to hear how he deals or has dealt with that pressure and how that's felt for him over over the years. Um, with you know there's a pressure on refereeing at that level anyway, let alone adding on the pressure of. Um, feeling like, geez, everyone's expecting me to, to be there. So I just thought that was quite interesting to hear and I'm glad that he's at a point where, you know, he is really enjoying enjoying it. And, and I think going forward, if and I'm sure if we were to speak to Ash Klein and Chris Butler or Nick Beachel, they'd have sort of different stories and different... Mm. So going forward over the next, you know, for the series, maybe if we have a chat to someone else yeah. about their experiences and, and we may get some different answers or we may see that it's they're all very similar in their experiences and the way they, they look at it. Yeah. Um, and as we said with Jerry, they're obviously all back in the NRL. Um, they did like, they, they were in the NRL in round 13, so they backed up from, from origin. And we just had a quick discussion piece... Um, about something that actually came out of um, one of your games uh, this weekend is that uh, Josh Maguire was charged with a eye gouge, which obviously we can't go into the the details around all of that um, because it's up before judiciary. But there was also one with uh, Hudson Young the week before two or two weeks earlier um, in the Canberra game. But we just thought it would um, give listeners a little insight into how we process those sorts of complaints, so things like eye gouges at the NRL level and at the grassroots level. Yeah, and, and it doesn't really change in the process that we have. So generally these incidents will come from a player will come to you with a complaint. Yeah. At the NRL level, it's different. We've got all the cameras and stuff. So the the one in our game doesn't get picked up on field. So that that's probably the main thing is that if we were refereeing an NRL game and or any game and saw a player clearly eye gouge or bite someone, for example you would deal with it on the spot and most likely you would send that player off. Yes. But the majority of times when these things happen, they're very difficult to pick up live. Yeah. And they're generally subtle and there's generally numbers in a tackle and lots of bodies around. So you, the process is that a player will come to you and make a complaint. So then once they make that complaint, you just ask them, do you want to make an official complaint? And then there's a process from there. So different levels of the game, they sort of do different things where it, um, in, in some um, areas, the ground manager will have a mobile phone and come on and take a photo of the incident. Um, in other areas, you'll call the touch judge on to come and, and describe what they've seen, especially if you've got communication gear. Yeah. Um, and others, it's just a visual. The, the touch judge will come on um, and 
sort of have a look at what it is and then write a report post-game of what he saw and what the complaint was. Yeah, so generally, at a, we talk about a grassroots level, the referee would um, would stop the game, ask the player, do you want to make an official complaint? So it's similar to what we saw with Cameron Munster and Josh Maguire earlier in the year. Yes. Um, and then Cameron Munster ended up saying, no, he wasn't going to go on any further with it. So that's where it stays because it's an incident that no one has seen in terms of the, the on-field officials. At, at the NRL level, though, if a player makes a complaint and then doesn't want to go on with it, but then there is footage to show that that did happen, yeah, there still can be a charge. Yeah, yeah. Where at grassroots level, once the player... Cuts it, it's done. That, yeah. Um, if the player says, yes, I want, to make, want, I want to go on with it, we have to ask them, can you identify the offender? Because they can't just say, oh, someone, someone bit me, me or yeah. someone or I gouged me because we don't actually know who we're going to be charging with something. Yeah. They say, yes, it was number whatever. Um, you would call out that player and their captain. You would have the person making the allegation and their captain and you would call over your closest side touch judge. They would make the complaint. You would look and say, yes, I can see two teeth marks or a red mark here or I can see a scratch around the eye or I, can see nothing. I can't see anything. Place, if, if you're in a system where you've got a report system, like I place that on report, you would do that. If not, you'd say, okay, I'll, I'll fill in the form after the game and then the game just continues. You actually, if you haven't seen it, you can't take any action on the field. So the sorts of things we do that for are eye gouges, biting, uh Racial vilification, um, homophobic vilification. Um, yeah. There's a few few sorts of things like that that those processes um, are used for. One thing for the, the young referees at park level, if a player makes a complaint on field and then you go to fill out the report and then they come and want to take it back, it's too late. Mm. Once they've made that official complaint, it's it's done. Because sometimes they might come to you at the table and say, oh, I don't want to carry don't on Don't worry about that. it now. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, once, once they've made the official complaint, then it's there for you to put down in writing and then follow through with yeah um we had a listener question this week and as always we encourage our listeners to um to tweet to badger eye and and ask any questions that you might have and when we get a chance we'll we'll answer them so we spoke about uh the other week on our podcast we spoke about the two referee system and how it, the machinations of that what um the head ref does what the assist ref does the splits of the game um and all and all the rest of it we had a listener ask us Will we ever go back to the one referee system or what are the chances of going back to the one referee system? Yeah, um, well, it's not even spoken about at our level. We don't even speak about going back to it. It's, it I think no it's chance. here to stay. <laughs> um, and, and, for, and the thing is, you know, I'm someone who has an ego and I loved refereeing and I'm, I was fortunate enough to referee in the NRL before there was a two-referee system. So I've, I've, I've refereed in that system. I would hate to have to do that now. And the pressure and the scrutiny that we're under with, you know, so much media coverage of our game, super slow-mo cameras and stuff, it is impossible for me to get everything right. Mm. But I don't, we don't get them all right now. <laughs> and there's two of us, like, in, in all honesty. Yeah. Um, and you look at some most of the big decisions in games, they generally come from the guy behind the ruck because he is in a position where I can't mm. see. There are lots of knock-on calls and stuff that look obvious yeah. on TV that we would miss live and because the, we don't have that guy there. And the style of the game as well where so many players um, hit spin to offload or get a late offload out or hit and um, like drop down like we call like like they're sitting almost like they're sitting on a, on a chair. So you've got to think that where the ball is actually opens up behind so if we had if we only had the one referee, it's so hard to see that. And when we're getting numbers in tackles and things as well, to try and monitor what every player is doing um, is is quite difficult. And I know the guys actually. Um, if we do get um, Ashley Klein on another time, or it's a question we could have asked asked Jerry today. Um, 
the guys who then at the end of the year go and referee at like World Cups or test matches, they've got to go back to refereeing under the one referee system. And every one of them say how significantly different that is where they just feel like, I would really like another set of eyes out here. And, and it's not just around the decision-making, it's the flow of the game mm. as well. Like, defence wins rugby league games, especially at the NRL level, and the amount of time and effort that teams put into slowing down that ruck, which is what they have to do to win the game. They don't want, you know, two-second play the balls, but we can't have four-second either. Yeah. So the guy that's behind the ruck, whether it you know, be the head ref or the assist ref at the time, has a massive impact into the speed of that ruck. We've seen it when we are not direct or are not saying what we're meant to be saying. The speed of the game just slows down. Yeah. And, and, and not just the speed of the individual rucks, but you speak about the flow of the game. Um, we can't have quick 20-metre restarts and quick taps as often as we do with only one refereeing position because it, with those quick, um, let's take the 20-metre restart, for example, if you're the referee and you're down on the dead ball line because there's been a decision to make down there and the fullback picks up the ball to sprint back to the 20-metre line, well, you've not only got to dodge your way through players, you've also got to get to the 30-metre line to restart play you're also with one with, referee. You're also dealing with Josh Adokar who can run you know, 39 yeah. k's an hour to Jerry Sutton who can yeah. run 24. Yeah, whereas if you had the two referees on the field, you've got one referee on the dead ball line making that decision and you've got the other referee who's probably on the 10-metre line. So now on the quick restart, we're going to have someone back in, offici- in position ready to officiate. Same thing on, on quick taps. Um when if there's a decision a player um, is tackled right near the goal line and you've got to then go back and set the 10 metres. If with one referee, you've got to go back and do that. So many times that 10 metres will end up being short because you just if they get a quick play the ball, you haven't had a chance to get back and control that. Whereas with two referees, you've got someone back there getting a good distance, holding them, holding that line speed so we get a better flow in the well, game. We could sit here for another 20 minutes, you know, going through all those little different scenarios yeah. where, where it makes a big difference. But, um, yeah, for, here to stay. Yeah, for, for those that don't like it, I think it's um, bad luck. Here to it's, stay. It's, it's what it is. Yep. All right, what does the rest of your week look like? Where are you off to? Um, so this weekend I'm heading another another airport, another plane. Um, seems to be nearly every week that I'm travelling somewhere. I'm down to Melbourne, so uh, Melbourne and Newcastle. Uh, Saturday afternoon. Saturday, yeah. yeah so um, it's good, un- unusual, uh, an afternoon game in in Melbourne. Saturday afternoon. Yeah. I, I'm not sure what AFL games on around at, at that stage, but yeah, we generally don't compete too much with them. <laughs> um, and I'm off the same thing to a to an airport. Another day, another airport. Um, definitely not complaining about that though, because at least this week I get to head up to the uh, sunny Gold Coast. I'm on the the touchline up there for. Um, they play the Warriors, Warriors yeah. yeah. So I see see the Warriors again again this week. Another week, another weekend where we. When, when's your game? Friday. Friday, yeah. Yeah, so we won't see each other till Sunday, maybe. Outstanding. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I love you this like job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, as always, we encourage everyone to join our social media platforms. Our Facebook page is NRL Officiating, and our Instagram handle is at NRL officiating. So give us a follow to keep up to date with all that's happening in the world of refereeing from under sixes through to the NRL. And if you are interested in becoming a referee, please visit referee. Actually, <laughs> you should probably visit the right website, which is refrugbyleague.com. And thank you, as always, to listening for listening to this week's Refs Roundup. Bye. Bye.